Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. My next guest, Tyson Alger, is the author, editor, publisher, i5corridor.com. He covers sports up and down the Interstate 5 corridor. Uh, golden era of Oregon and Oregon State football. Tyson, I think we're in a uh, sweet spot here with both these programs playing very well. Yeah, it's 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 by far the best since I've been on the beat and this will be going into like my 10th year or so. And I remember when I joined in, uh, 2013, 14, you know, people were still kind of coming off a little bit of the high of like the 2009 war of the roses and, and when, uh, Mike Riley and, and what seemed like kind of the, the Helfrich Kelly era, uh, we're going to at least bring, you know, competitive teams to both sides. And then, you know, between the, the dip Oregon State took throughout basically all of the 2010s and, and Oregon's kind of uh, stepped back and then all, all the new coaches. Like, I, I just I just think this isn't a really good spot, and especially if you look at, like, what they brought in with signing day here. You know, Oregon is able to net, you know, the number eight, number nine class in the country, depending what service you're looking at. And Oregon State, while they're never quite as flashy, you know, they went out and got the pieces that they really needed to maintain competitive in, in a Pac-12 that's looking like it's going to be as competitive as as I've covered uh, during my time here on the beat. The you know Dan Lanning, Jonathan Smith. Do you have more questions for Smith or more questions for Lanning at this point? I think more questions for Lanning at this point, uh, just because I mean I was just looking at I was just looking at the the list of all the players coming in with this signing class, and they're bringing in like. 30 new guys again. I mean, this is, this is going to be, there's going to be a lot of the same main pieces, you know, Bo Nix is coming back, Bucky Irving's coming back, but there's going to be so much of this roster that's transformed. And I just really want to see what, what that looks like. And that was a question that Lanning was asked today is, uh, you know, now that you got your guys in and he made a point of saying, you know, it, it's been his team since the moment he got here, but this is a significantly, di- significantly different team than the one that he's, started with when he first got to Eugene. Uh, now, when you look at Jonathan Smith, you know, I, I think we know a lot about what that program is, what that program's made of, but I think the big question is, you know, what can you do as a front runner? Because for their entire time, it's just kind of been the, the building of that program or, you know, can they get out of the basement? Can they make a bowl game? But now after coming after a 10-win season, you know, this, this is a program that's going to have expectations, which is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Dan Lanning talked today about you know, Eugene being a little bit of an outlier as a destination and, and trying to sell guys on the idea that it's the right place, even though maybe it's not the closest place for them. Um, it feels like he's maybe learning a little bit about what it is to be the head coach at Oregon. Jonathan Smith, meanwhile, I think he's got that familiarity. I want to pivot to Smith a little bit. Um, you know, when he came through the doors, I think we all thought he understands Oregon State. He's a fighter. He had some proof of performance, but I think this last season raised the bar for him. Where do you see the expectations for Jonathan Smith and Oregon State next season? I think that they they need to come in and expect to to compete or or win the conference title. You know, I think that they've kind of taken 
um, you know, it's it's not even baby steps that they've taken forward because they went from seven to ten wins. But I, I just think that every time that they kind of have what you think would be an excuse to either plateau or take a step back or to let some of the other flashy teams go by them, they've always kind of managed to keep moving it forward. And I, I think that's really important for them to continue that progress, especially – um, you know, looking across the Pac-12, like I expect Arizona State to be a heck of a lot better with Kenny Dillingham as their head coach, and they had a lot of momentum today. Um, I, everyone else, uh, I really like what Washington's doing, and so I think I think it's going to be really tough for Oregon State to keep doing this. But you know, right now, I think you can make a pretty good argument that Jonathan Smith has been the, the best coach at doing his job uh, in the Pac-12 since he's been hired. Yeah, Dennis Erickson said as much. He said he thought Kyle Whittingham at Utah, Jonathan Smith at Oregon State both knew who they were. We're talking to Tyson Alger, I-5 Corridor. Uh, recruiting parties tonight, uh, you know, the Ducks will be on Nike's campus. Oregon State will be at the uh, Embassy Suites in Tigard. Which of those parties do you think will have the louder roars? Um, I'm going to say probably the one at Nike just because that's uh... – <laughs> You know, that re- recruiting has kind of turned into just almost as part of an uh, important part of the season for the Ducks as the actual games they play. You know, it's anytime you go online or, or go on Twitter, it, it's it's half of what the conversation is. And so, you know, I, I think that's kind of become a big, uh, you know, it, it, it needs to be a party for Oregon, whereas for, you know, Oregon State, you know, this, this isn't necessarily – a day where they're always uh, landing the five-star with uh, the hat ceremony. But, you know, I think they can definitely take some pride in the team that they've built and, and the, the positions that they've addressed because I, I do think they have a very solid team going into next year. DJ Uingalele heads to Oregon State. His brother Mateo heads to Oregon. I think the bigger impact is probably going to be DJ because he plays quarterback and that's a position Oregon State badly needs. What do you see as, uh, you know, the expectations, the ceiling for him, in you know this next season at Oregon State, I I think he can be really good. You know this this was a guy that when he was in high school, people I mean he was a sure thing. Like uh, people were were saying that he was Cam Newton two point He could run, he could pass, and at his size, uh, you know six five two forty five. I mean he was just the prototypical type of quarterback. And he went to a school in Clemson where you were expected to contend for a national title as a true freshman. I mean. Like that's the, the the shoes he replaced was Trevor Lawrence. It's pretty pretty uh, lofty uh, expectations to be placed on a kid, and you know I, I think just with the roster construction at Clemson and kind of some of the the rebuilding that's going on there, I think this is the perfect type of player for for Oregon State to kind of go all in with. You know that that talent hasn't disappeared, and I think with uh, Smith's offensive mind and uh, the fact that. Like they won games this year with absolutely no offensive attacks. I, I think it's going to be a really nice combination for them. Yeah, and I, you know, look, he's got a quarterback. We're going to see. You know, it's kind of like Kyle Shanahan and the Niners. Everybody goes, "Hey, he doesn't need a quarterback. It's the system." Until he doesn't have one. Jonathan Smith, uh, you know, had his Brock Purdy moment this season with uh, with his backup backup quarterback. But uh, Tyson Alger is with us. Um, look, the rest of this conference is formidable. I was talking to John Wilner today, uh, the Pac-12 guru, about the top of the conference. Where do you think the biggest competition or obstacle for Oregon and Oregon State sits when you talk about other schools? You know, that that's a good one because, you know, I think I think what they're doing up in Seattle is, is going to be 
something that they're going to have to contend with because, I mean, for the last, you know, five, six, seven years, it feels like it's been Oregon kind of battling USC for a lot of uh, the, the top-level recruits on the West Coast, and Washington's kind of a sleeping giant in that regard. But, you know, seeing what uh, seeing what Kenny's doing down at, in uh, Tempe, I, I think that's very interesting because there's not that many great quarterbacks here on the West Coast, and he was able to secure one of those and Jaden Rashad in, in this uh, signing class. And so I, I think just them between like him at Arizona State or, or Coach Prime over in Colorado, just some of these kind of additions that are turning kind of long dormant teams into something that's going to be uh, have to that the Ducks and the Beavers are going to have to contend with day to day on the recruiting trail. I, I think that makes things a lot more interesting. Yeah, and, and I and I keep looking at the steps forward that. Jonathan Smith is taking, and I look at Dan Lanning. Kind of, you know, I think he's getting his feet underneath him as a as a young coach. I think I expect to see better decision making, better play calling uh, in year two. But I I feel like Tyson. I feel like we're in one of those golden eras. Like you know, I looked back and it was 21 combined wins in 2000. Uh, it was 21 combined wins in 2012, and we had 20 this last season. I don't think you know. I think they can match the 21, or maybe even break it if they can. One or both can get to the playoff or the conference title game. I think. I think we're we're in a sweet spot with Bo Nix at quarterback at Oregon, and DJ going to Oregon State. Questions that you have in spring ball. What do you need to see from both programs? I, I think with Oregon, you want to see just some sort of development of, of uh, pass rush. You know, that was that was kind of what getting uh, uh, Mateo was, was big for them is, is getting kind of an elite athlete on, on the side just because, I mean, the Ducks, you know, you took Kayvon Thibodeau off of that line and turns out you're not you're not rushing the quarterback quite as much. So I, I think they definitely need to just kind of be able to have some playmakers there in that front seven, especially with how poor the defense was down down the stretch there. Um, and then with Oregon State, like, honestly, I just want to I want to make sure DJ comes in and he's healthy and he, and he looks the part because, Again, with the defense that they have and kind of the, the leadership that they have coming back, I think he could be the missing piece for a team that, you know, if things go right, like I think they could actually make a playoff run, which seems insane to say when you consider that, what was it, just like six six years ago or so, they had one win, and it, it just seemed like that program was going to get, uh, you know, left, in, uh, left behind by some of the Pac-12 top-level top programs. But, you know, they're, they're right there in that, and I, I think it's going to be a lot fun to watch. You can read him at i5corridor.com. I encourage you to subscribe. Check out Tyson Alger's daily offerings. Hey, I appreciate you making time for us. Uh, I saw also recently, did you play some racquetball? What's going on with you? Yeah, my uh, my old man and I, we were doubles partners in the uh, the Pacific Coast uh, Squash Doubles Championships over the weekend. And uh, I, wrote a, I wrote a little post on that on, on the corridor today. If uh if people will indulge me a little bit. <laughs> Help me out with, you know, racquetball, squash, pickleball. How is that game different? Yeah, so so squash is similar to racquetball. You're playing in a court and the objects to hit against the wall and not have your opponent, but the ball doesn't bounce nearly as much. So uh, most people have to be in better physical shape. I, I, might, I may be the outlier there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, I, I grew up playing it. My dad was a former uh, national champion. And so it's, it's something that's kind of, uh, been in our family for quite some time. Well, camaraderie with dad playing some squash. Yeah. I like it. I like yeah, it. Tyson, it was, uh, it, it, was, it was a kick. <laughs> Tyson, I appreciate you joining us, man. Thank you. Hey, thanks, John.
There he is, i5corridor.com, if you want to read Tyson and read about squash. Um, I thought it was racquetball. I don't know a lot about squash. You ever played squash, Stephen? Uh, no, never played it. Peter, uh, you just played squash? I have not. Okay. Go ahead, Stephen. I interrupted uh, you. No, I was going to yeah. say, I mean, all those sports with the rackets and the ball, you know, pickleball we always talk about, but those all confuse me. I don't know. I used to play racquetball when I was like a teenager. We uh, there was a club that uh, the gym that I went to had racquetball, but some of these guys that played were just phenomenal players. And there was this one guy that used to play, and he was always looking for people to play against. So we would humor him by playing. He had an outstanding serve. But I, I remember two things about this guy. You know, I'm like a teenager, and he, you know, he's a grown man. He's serving the ball like a rocket. And uh, I remember a he was really hairy. And he wore tank tops. And B, when he served, he then subsequently stood in the center of the court in the way, which was kind of a hindrance if you're trying to play against that guy. And so what I determined uh, that my best offensive strategy would be to return his serve right between his shoulder blades. And so I did that a few times until he got out of the way. I remember that, him just going, oh, like, you know, drill him right between the shoulder blades with the racquetball. If you're going to stand in the middle of the court, that's what I'm going to do. Do you think uh, the hair I, Do you think the hair on him was on purpose? Like he did that as a defense mechanism? Yeah, you didn't want to touch him because he yeah. was all sweaty. And, you know, you're in the court. You're kind of moving around each other. It was like, ah, I don't want to touch you, man. I don't know. Maybe he's just a hairy guy. But it was it was good. Maybe that was his whole game, you know. He, he, he said, I'm going to stand in the middle of the court and look like Sasquatch. And then, you know, but I got him out of the way by hitting him with the racquetball. I learned that in baseball, though. You're going to crowd the plate, you know. You better uh, be prepared. Amen. <laughs> Leave it here. You got the BFT. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.